The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. After Speaker Robert DeLeo's announcement of support for a red flag gun bill, a Republican lawmaker is trying to shift the debate to mental health. Matt Murphy, tell us about Representative Joe McKenna's argument here. That's exactly right, Sam. Uh, You know, ever since the Speaker professed his support for this bill, and it's really been growing in momentum since the, the Parkland, Florida high school shooting, the gun lobby has been pushing back against it. They don't like its focus on stripping away someone's constitutional rights, uh, dragging them through court. Those are their words. And uh, Rep. McKenna of Webster has offered an alternative that he thinks will kind of address or, or more appropriately address uh, what the bill is attempting to solve, which he uh, accurately describes as addressing suicide rates and mass gun violence. And his proposal uh, would allow the eventual possibility for someone to have their guns taken away from them, but only after a court uh, determined them to be an extreme risk and committed them to a mental health treatment facility. This, McKenna and others say, uh, would not just throw these people back into the community without the mental health supports and services that they need and, and really address the underlying root cause of some of the violence we've seen in other parts of the country. In Speaker DeLeo's announcement last week, he said he doesn't want to see the so-called ERPO proposal watered down. Um, So what are the chances for McKenna's proposal? That's right. The Speaker said he was willing to talk to people who might have ideas to improve this bill, but he didn't want to stray too far from its premise. And McKenna was able to round up the support of 24 lawmakers, including himself, Five of those happen to be Democrats, but none of Speaker DeLeo's leadership team. And when I talked to Representative McKenna, he spoke to me about a meeting he had a few months ago while the committee was still vetting this bill with Rep. Decker, the sponsor of the red flag legislation, and Rep. Linsky and Rep. Naughton, where they told him that while they support improving access to mental health, they don't see this red flag bill as the vehicle to do that. So I think its chances at this point are long, but there's always a chance that he could get a few components in. Among others, he has proposed a commission to study uh, the the state's effectiveness with suicide prevention. So uh, you could see uh, some uh, uh, carrots given to, to Rep. McKenna and some of these opponents in the final bill. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Sam. There could be changes in store for how people pay for electricity. Lawmakers held a hearing on Tuesday on Attorney General Maura Healey's call to abolish one sector of the electricity market. And Department of Public Utilities has issued an order that could usher in additional changes. Andy Metzger, you've covered those developments. What's on the horizon here? Well, there's been a lot of debate about how power is generated, nukes, natural gas, wind, and how energy is transmitted, whether that be by high-voltage lines or underground gas pipelines. This week, there was a lot of talk about how you buy electricity. Uh, Most people buy their power directly from a utility, but a substantial portion, around 20%, buy it through so-called competitive suppliers. Healy says the competitive supply deals are so bad that she's calling for a complete end to the industry. Basically, her office and other critics say that in order to get savings from these deals, you need to be paying incredibly close attention to the power market. So it works well for commercial and industrial clients, but not so much for your average resident. Um, Low-income households are much more likely to buy power through a competitive supplier than other households. And according to a recent study by the AG, they paid 231 more 
on average annually than they would have if they stuck with an elect uh, with a utility. Oh wow! So uh, the competitive suppliers are they in a fight then to hold on to this residential market? They sure are, and uh, they brought along a glossy fact sheet headline: "Don't pull the plug on consumer choice." They say consumers like that, um, and there isn't a bill yet to accomplish what Healy is proposing. And the Baker administration, which regulates this industry, wants to learn more about the ramifications of what Healy is calling for. So for now, that's just a proposal. On the other hand, the DPU put out a 240-page grid modernization order this week. What's the deal with that, Andy? In short, the utilities are authorized to spend $220 million over three years on grid modernization and resiliency. And the order also sets out a process uh, that could result in some smart meters being used for dynamic billing uh, in some cases. Um, that would allow customers to be charged different rates if they're using power during, say, peak demand, early evening, or when demand has dropped off, like, say, 3 a.m. Gotcha. Thanks, Andy. Thank you, Sam. Housing prices in Massachusetts keep rising higher and higher, and there are efforts on Beacon Hill to pass legislation easing development rules to increase the overall supply of housing. Mike Norton, fill us in. Well, Sam, there was a very upbeat event on Wednesday during which uh, Rep. Steve Kulik and Rep. Sarah Peake joined housing, environmental, land use, municipal planning activists, and they launched a sign-on push for a comprehensive bill overhauling land use and development rules. The two lawmakers are rounding up support among their colleagues this month with the goal of convincing Speaker Robert DeLeo to advance a bill on June or July. The upshot of this is this. This is a movement that's been going on for years. Kulik and Peak led meetings over the fall and the winter, and they've come up with about a dozen reforms over which there's a a fair amount of agreement among major stakeholders. Kulik's been working on this for a long time, and he told us that he feels he's as close as he's ever been in his career to actually moving legislation. And the overall atmosphere on the Hill is conducive, it seems, to some type of action. Uh, Senate President Chandler from Worcester says increasing housing production is economic imperative. And Governor Baker has made his so-called housing choices bill a top priority to pass by the end of July. This sounds too easy, Mike. When it comes to this topic, there's always some hiccup or obstacle. What is it in this case? I think you're correct, Sam. Uh, There's a couple. Uh, One is the sheer complexity of this topic. It's a hard one for legislators to wrap their heads around. That's in part one of the reasons why we haven't seen consensus around a bill. The other is the real estate industry. Uh, They were quickly in touch with us after the Kulik peak reforms were announced to let us know they're not on board. They're against the package, and in fact, they say if it passes, it will make housing construction more difficult. So this will be a very interesting one to watch down the legislative stretch. The major players on the Hill, they want to wrap up the summer with a housing production bill on the books. And the problem they may have to solve is finding an agreement that both cities and towns and the real estate and development sectors can get behind. So right now, in the words of the great singer-songwriter Carol King, They're both so close and yet so far away. (laughs) And uh, you mentioned that Rep Kulik has been working on this for several years, and he retires at the end of the session, doesn't he? That's correct. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. The Senate this week voted unanimously to set up a new approach to education funding. This addresses what senators described as an outdated formula that's left schools short of what they need. Katie Lannon, where did this effort come from? 
So this has been a long time coming. The original formula, um, including what's known as the, the foundation budget, which is a very bland, jargony term, but gets at a lot of important things like books for schools, special education, everything a school needs to provide an education is centered around this foundation budget. And a 2015 report found that the existing foundation budget and formula underfunds, underestimates the cost of education by a billion dollars or more annually. So there have been a lot of concerted efforts since then to get something done legislatively to change this. Brockton schools are considering suing the state. And the Senate's tried to do this a few times, but they've always attached it to a larger bill and it's always fallen by the wayside as a result. So they're hoping that doing it as a standalone as they did this week will really give it a better shot of making it all the way into the law books. So what's next now that it's passed the Senate? Well, like anything, now it goes to the House. And what happens there is kind of a question. 88 reps, so more than half the House, signed on to a budget amendment that would do the same thing. But that budget amendment, despite the majority report, didn't make it into the House budget. So the question is really what leadership thinks if it's on the priority list there, if we're going to see it done. Either way, I think we're going to see continued grassroots advocacy There's a lot of support for it at the local level and the uh, March for Our Lives uh, gun violence prevention movement has also taken up this cause as well. Oh, really? Yeah, they're uh, high school kids, so they're seeing it firsthand. They know what the status is in Massachusetts schools right now. Thanks, Katie. Thank you. Hello? Oh, oops. Sorry. I was having trouble with my headset. Can you hear me? Get out of here. (laughs) More and more often. When your cell phone rings, the person on the other end of the line is, well, not a person at all. Sorry, Colin. In Massachusetts, the House of Representatives has advanced a bill to ban these pesky robocalls. Colin, uh, you covered that this week. Tell us more. Well, Sam, uh, Mattapoiset Rep. Bill Strauss uh, has filed a bill to ban robocalls from cell phones and other mobile devices and to give the Attorney General the power to enforce the prohibition. Uh, The bill makes exceptions for things like messages from school systems telling kids that they don't have to go to school that day, uh, alerts from the government, and certain calls from health care providers. So the House of Representatives last week gave the bill its initial approval, which means there's at least some interest in taking action to cut down on these bothersome calls. Uh, Of course, the House got to this same point with a very similar bill two years ago, and that one didn't end up becoming law. So it's far from a sure thing that uh, this will actually, this ban will actually uh, take hold. So what's the scope of the problem here? How many robocalls are we talking about? Uh, more than ever before, Sam, uh, because it's become far easier and cheaper to make robocalls and for the caller to mask their true identity. Uh, Umail, which is a robocall blocking service, estimates that there were 30.5 billion robocalls made to American homes and businesses in 2017. That's more than the previous record of 29.3 billion set in 2016. In last month, April, uh, there were 3.36 billion robocalls placed. Uh, That's the most uh, for a single month on record. Uh, And to put that in some perspective, it's about 1,300 robocalls being placed every second. Uh, A glimmer of hope, maybe, Sam, uh, towards the end of this week. On Thursday, the FCC fined a guy named Adrian Abramovich 
$120 million for malicious spoofing as part of a massive robocalling operation. Uh, he was, or, or his robocalls were posing as travel companies to try to sell timeshares from an overseas call center. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> but thank you, Colin. Thanks a lot, Sam. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.